take a stand is what we're looking at today. And we're going to be looking at the in a story in, a book, in the book of Esther. Now, in the book of Esther, a lot, maybe, maybe we've heard a lot from Sunday school or different times growing up about the story of a queen, of a story, uh, an unlikely, unlikely person that becomes queen. But today, we're not going to focus as much on her, but on someone else. So I encourage you this morning as we, as we go through this, uh, to be opening your Bible to, to Esther, and we're going to be mostly in chapters 2 to 4. Not going to read every verse of those three chapters, don't worry. I know you guys need to go to lunch sometime. <laughs> uh, but we are in a series right now called Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. And, and last week we looked at how there's this ordinary woman named Hannah, and she had no baby. And that was a big deal to her. And she really, really wanted a child. And so she surrendered completely to her, to our ordinary, no, not ordinary, to our extraordinary God, the, the, the maker of heaven and earth, the one that can give anything that we need or, or ask for. It doesn't mean he will always give what we need or what we ask for. But we know we can trust our God because he is extraordinary. He is good and kind. And so last week we saw that the main idea was that blessing comes through surrender and obedience to the Lord. And we saw how Hannah was blessed as she obeyed. Because blessing comes through obedience. And we saw, and we looked at, last week we, we dedicated children to the Lord. And what a special time we had. Uh, but we saw how godly parents seek the Lord in their distress. When, when we have hardship, when, we have, when we not, we're not sure where to go, we seek after the Lord and turn to Him. We also see that, that godly parents believe that the, that the Lord is able. God can do anything. doesn't mean He will do anything. doesn't mean He will do what we want. But He has the power and He is able and we can trust in Him. And also we saw that godly parents give their children back to the Lord. And that was a special thing last week as we dedicated for children, giving our children back to the Lord. Uh, and we don't just do that one time. We do that every day. We say, Lord, these kids are yours. Lord, these kids are, are to, be, to be raised by the people of the church, to be raised by, in the way that you want us to raise them. They're not my kids. We don't hold on to them and try to protect them in every single way. Yes, that's kind of what we want to do. But we give that we trust the Lord with His kids. And so today we're going to be in the book of Esther. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be not looking necessarily at Queen Esther. We're going to be looking at Mordecai. And so in the first part of this book in Esther, and I encourage you as you, as you open to the book of Esther, to be thinking about what is some of the background here. Well, the background of this story in Esther is that there were people of God's people, the Israelites, that had disobeyed. And they had rejected the way that God wants them to live holy unto Him. And so people, were t- some, some different countries came in and took over for the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom in separate times, but they took them into captivity. And so this story is not 
take, it doesn't take place in one of the Israelite towns. It, it's taken, taken place in modern-day Iran. And so it's far away from Israel, it's far away from where their homeland is, and we're going to see this character, Mordecai, and what he does. Um, so as we, as we open the book of, of Esther, let's, let's uh, just pray for a moment. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can open your word. And God, I ask that you would just illuminate to us what we need to know today. And not just what we need to know, but how it reflects you, Jesus. How it reflects you, Father and Spirit. And how we can be obedient to you. Give us wisdom as we, as we discern your words. As we look at this story that was written a long time ago, but God, we pray that we would try to understand it and understand what you want us to do and how you want us to live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first part of Esther, we find out, and I'm not going to read the first chapter, but we find out about this king, this very powerful king, and this king was wanting power. He was wanting fame. And like many people that want power and fame, if someone goes against them, even if it's the queen, they get upset. And, And so because his wife, the queen, made him look bad, he got rid of her. Sorry, you're no longer the king. No longer the queen. I'm in charge. You do what I say. and You didn't do it. You're gone. So now, as this king needs a replacement, they need this, this new queen. And so, the, so he sends his, his servants into all the places to look for the perfect replacement queen. I mean, think about the, the perfect replacement queen. Uh, maybe in your mind, what a, a perfect replacement queen. I mean, we don't have queens in our country. Um, queen Elizabeth's getting really, really old in England. Uh, what, is, what does it look like to have a, a perfect queen? I mean, we might have different things in our mind. But I think in, in, in this king's mind, some of the most important things for this perfect replacement for a queen would be, first of all, that she obeys, because the last queen, she didn't obey one thing that he said, and, and, he, made it, and he got rid of her. So he, this queen needs to obey. Whatever I say, whatever I want, she's going to do. Secondly, it said that the servants went out to look for this... They, they, looked, they went and found all the beautiful young women, the virgin women, as the only options to be the new queen. So we can see there, he wants a very beautiful woman, a young woman, and a woman that is a virgin. Okay, so here's his, his standard for who the queen would be. And, and so we're gonna, what we're going to find out is Esther ends up being the queen. But we're, as we, let's look in, in Esther chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 5 here, 5 through 7. And really, in verse 5, the main thing we need to hear is there's a man named Mordecai. And this Mordecai, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, and it gives his lineage. Now, he was carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. 
among those who had taken him captain by Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. All right, so Mordecai is, a, is from Israel. He is a Jewish man. And it says in verse 7 that Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah. And Hadassah didn't have parents anymore. It says that she, whom he had brought up because she neither had a father or mother. This young woman was also known as Esther. She had a lovely figure and she was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. Now, there was a lot of circumstances why her mother and father could have died. It doesn't tell us why, but they were in captivity. And his, his young cousin, all of a sudden, is in need of a parent, of someone that can care for her, someone that can love her, someone that can raise her, someone that can teach her about the customs of their land, even though they're in captivity, and the, someone that teaches them about God and how to live a courageous life for the Lord, even in captivity. And so Mordecai stepped up. Mordecai took this honor, or took this, this it was a hard thing probably for him to do, is we, we don't know if he had a wife, we don't know what, if he had other kids, but we kind of assume he didn't because it's not mentioned. But Mordecai, as a, as a single dad, says, or as a single man says, all right, you're, you're my daughter. I've, I'm choosing to love you. I'm choosing to embrace you. I'm choosing to teach you and guide you. And so this took a lot of courage. Now, we do find out, it does mention that she was beautiful. She had a lovely figure. And, and we find out, in a few verses later, that she ends up being the queen. She's the one that, that the king, Xerxes, was madly in love with. Now, <laughs> it's funny because you see someone and you're madly in love with, I, I know sometimes people say, we love at first sight, right? Love at first sight. Um, that's not really in the Bible except for maybe right here. <laughs> but not as a good example. He was looking for the most beautiful woman. And he found the most beautiful woman. And he was in love with her. Or, I don't know if that, I wouldn't call that love. That's definitely not biblical love just because you see someone beautiful that you're, you want to marry them, right? All right. Uh, so then it says later on in, in this chapter, it says in verse 21, it, it gives this, this story. Now, Esther has become the queen, and she has still a relationship with her adopted dad, Mordecai, her cousin. And it says here in verse 21 about this, about what Mordecai did. It says, During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, and there was two of the king's officers who were, gu who were guarding the doorway. And they became angry, and they conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out, about this plot, and he told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. Now, that's all it says here. That's all it says about this story. So, first of all, we see Mordecai take, courageously stepping up to the plate, adopting his, his cousin. And then secondly in this, we see that, that Mordecai 
when he heard that the king's life was in jeopardy, when he heard about a plot, he didn't just be like, oh, I hope that doesn't happen, or, oh, I hope it maybe does happen. He didn't decide for himself what to do, except that he went and told someone, the queen, that could then let it be found out that it was true. But Mordecai got credit only in, in the journals, only in the writings. He didn't get credit by being thanked. All right, so we, and our first point today is that like Mordecai, let's stand up for others in radical love. And we can see this, that Mordecai, he stood up for his cousin. He stood up when she needed someone. She had no one. And he gave her radical love. He opened his home up. He extended. He taught her. He, he guided her. We're going to find out more and more about the courage that he instilled in her and the different things that he taught her. But he had radical love that he showed to his cousin, Hadassah. Now, it says Hadassah, but then the rest of the time it talks about Esther. And Hadassah was her name, her Hebrew name, her, her Israelite name. But like we see in the book of Daniel, and when they are taken in captivity, they say, we don't want to call you by your given name. That sounds too Jewish. That sounds too whatever. We don't want to do that. We want to call you what we want to call you. Your name is this. And so the rest of the time, and probably even Mordecai's name was actually not even Mordecai. It was probably even a name that was given to him. But Queen Esther, she grew up in the house of Mordecai. She grew up and she learned from his radical love. And he also extended this radical love by, by not just saying, forget about it when, this, when he hears about this plot. But he took courage and he showed radical love by making sure that, that this plot was turned in. That these people didn't actually go through and kill someone. Maybe, it was, maybe he didn't even like King Xerxes. We don't know. But he still didn't want someone to be killed. Now, showing radical love. In, in 1 John 3.18, it talks about how it talks about how we are to, as Christians, to not love with just words or actions, but to love, sorry, not with words or speech, but to love with action and truth. We are to stand up for each other. We are to stand up and extend radical love, not just by what we say, but how we live and how we treat people and what we do. So let's, Think about how we can, when an opportunity arises, I mean, a few months ago we talked about the Good Samaritan, and how when there was an opportunity arose, there was this, this person in the road that needed help, two really holy, prestigious people, religious people, walked past. But the, the, un, the person that should not have, according to the traditions, with the, the Jews and the, and the Samaritans, that, that person shouldn't stop, but they did. And, and they extended radical love to the person that needed it. So let's be like that good Samaritan. Let's be like, or like Mordecai, who were ready to extend radical love. When, when we have an opportunity that arises, 
Maybe it's this week when you're going to the Fisher Fair or, or, the, or when you're doing something and you, you see someone that needs help. We extend radical love and we give generously and we show the love and grace of Jesus. Now, there's a few things that happen in Mordecai's life and we're going to kind of, we don't have time to go through the whole book of Esther, but we're going to just kind of go through a few of these. So the first thing we're looking at is that he, he stood up for others in radical love. And then in chapter 3, in chapter 3, the first six verses bring up a new, a new character in this story. And, and what we need to know is there's about five years that have passed since uh, the last part of, from chapter 2. So about five years later, after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman. And he was the son of, I don't know how to say that name, but he was an Ag- Agite. And, and what we need to know about the Agite is that they were the ones that were constantly against the Israelites through all of history so far, up until now. And they hated the Israelites. They hated the Jews. So, any Jewish reader reading this, even if they didn't know anything about Haman yet, when they heard that this man was an Agite, they would say, oh no, not him. Why is the king elevated, elevating him? Alright, so the king was elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than all of the other nobles. Now again, it doesn't say why he was being elevated. It doesn't say what he did to deserve that or why he should be praised. But it does say just simply, that the king elevated him. This man must have done something extraordinary to, to the king. And so something happened that he said, oh great, you are now the most important. And it says in verse 2 that all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down and pay or pay honor to him. So, so think about this. Similar to we saw in other books about the Israelites in captivity. Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are to go and bow down to this golden statue, this, this, this false god. And, and they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't bow their knee at someone or something other than their Lord. And we find out in that story that they were thrown into a fiery furnace. Without giving, I guess I'll give away the whole story. We, probably a lot of us know this story. But our extraordinary God saved these people from certain death. Now here, in this story, Mordecai... I, we don't know if Mordecai knew about this other story or not, but Mordecai, he wouldn't, he wouldn't kneel down. He would not worship another person. It says in verse 3 that the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Now it doesn't give, Mordecai, it doesn't give his recorded answer. Okay? But we can assume that his answer was because he trusted in God. 
and he knew the first command of the Ten Commandments is to have no other gods before me. And so, if I'm supposed to worship, and I'm supposed to kneel down every time this one person comes by, that's worshiping another god, and I'm not going to do it. He stood his ground. Verse 4 says, Day after day, they spoke to him, but he refused completely. Therefore, they told Haman. And they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated. For he had told them that he was a Jew. So, for some reason, Mordecai wasn't so upset until he finds out that this is his arch nemesis, his arch enemy, the Jew. This Jew won't, won't, won't pay honor to me. How dare he? But Mordecai is in trouble. <laughs> Even though he's taking a stand for the right thing, Mordecai is in trouble because Haman now finds out that Mordecai isn't just some guy that refuses to bow down, but he is the guy, he's from the, the Israelites. He's from the God who is always against them. And the people, our people are against your people, and we don't like you. It says in verse 5, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay honor to him, he was enraged. Yet, learning about who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Sounds like Hitler, doesn't it? I mean, I don't even like to say that name. But, but Hitler hated the same group of people, the Jews. He hated them. And he wanted to find a way that he would just wipe them all out. I mean, I, I know when we read Haman, we don't think, we don't equivalent or put in our minds the same terrible thought, things about, that we think about when we say Hitler. But I think we should. Because this man was determined that even though one man wasn't respecting him, wasn't kneeling down before him, one person that he had set to kill all the Jews in that region. All of them. So as we look at Mordecai, Mordecai, this ordinary person, this ordinary person who's trying to do the right thing, he's trying to, do, he's trying to honor God, not man. So like Mordecai, our second point today is let's stand on our faith convictions. He had a conviction where he would not worship anything or anyone other than his God. And his faith conviction is a firm foundation. When we know that we have, when we trust in Jesus and when we stand upon him, that we have a firm foundation. It's not going to give way. And, and this firm foundation, when we stand upon Jesus and upon His Word and stand up for what God wants, sometimes really bad things are going to happen. 
like in this case, Mordecai, the really bad thing is not just that Mordecai was going to be essentially killed, but all of the Jews. I wonder if there was other Jews that were like, Mordecai, seriously, come on. Just bow down. Then we won't all be killed. Come on, Mordecai. Why are you taking a stand on this little simple thing? Don't worry about it. And I'm, I'm especially sure that all the other people around Mordecai were saying, Mordecai, you're going to get killed. Mordecai, come on. Just bow down. This guy is dangerous. Mordecai, come on. But Mordecai took a stand. He knew where his loyalties were. He knew he trusted in the God Almighty, the Lord Almighty that we looked at last week, that Hannah prayed to the Lord Almighty, maker of heavens and earth. Do we know where our loyalties are? Do we stand upon the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, our rock, our redeemer? In your life, maybe there's a time that you've stood up. Maybe there's a time that you you took a stand for something that you knew could be costly. Hopefully it wasn't at the cost of of lives. Hopefully it wasn't at the cost of, of, of bad things happening. But even if it was, You need to stand on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Just like we saw a few weeks ago, John Chow, who went into a place and he said, I love these people so much that even if they kill me, it's worth it. I want people to see Jesus. I want people not just to to know that I'm, I'm different, but that I love Jesus, and, I, and because I love Jesus, I love you. So let's stand on our faith with conviction. Not because, not, not for other reasons, but because we know that we have a God that's extraordinary, and we have a God that we trust, and a God that He will save if He wants to save. He will give what He needs to happen. And Just like throughout history, many people have died. Many people have lost their life because they trust in Jesus and they stood on the firm foundation of Jesus. That doesn't mean that God failed them. That doesn't mean that God failed them. They stood on their faith with conviction. And often we don't hear the stories, but when someone dies for their faith, usually there's people that are that come to know Jesus because of that faith. Because of that faith that had, had so much conviction, they were willing to die. Other people were like, wow, I want to be like that. Not necessarily I want to die like that, but I, I want to have the faith and to have that hope, especially of eternity, that even if I die, I'm going to be in a better place with Jesus. So do we bow? at our earthly leaders? Do we bow to the pressures around us? I know sometimes it's, it's easy to get kind of caught into our world. It's kind of easy to, whatever the culture is saying, that we're kind of like, oh, well, this is, 
this is what's right, I should bow my knee at that. But let's be reminded, just like Mordecai, that we only bow our knee at the gospel of Jesus. We only bow, we only worship the one true God. We don't bow down at our political leaders. We don't bow down at any other anybody. It doesn't matter who it is. We don't bow down, and I'm not just saying like literally. I'm saying figuratively. We we don't say we don't elevate people. We only elevate Jesus. We give Him glory. We give Him honor, not elevating others over God. So let's stand on our faith with conviction. Let's be people that are different than this world. Let's be people that when they see, hey, you're a Christian, why are you so different? Hey, you go to East Bend, why are you so different? And they might be saying that in a bad way. Well, that's, that, that should be a good thing. We are different. We, we stand out from the world. So let's stand up for others with radical love. And let's stand on our faith with conviction. And then we're going to jump to the next chapter. And the rest of chapter 3 is about the king granting Haman his request to kill all the Jews. So they, they have this decree, and, and, and the king is okay with this decree that they're going to wipe out the people. And so he gives his, he gives his signet uh, ring to seal the decree. And this decree goes out. Now, Queen Esther, she doesn't know anything about this at first. But when Mordecai hears this, in chapter 4, we see that Mordecai, he hears what the decree is. And as you can imagine, he is upset. And maybe he's even upset at himself. We don't know, but he tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth. He is in the city streets, and he is showing people that he is upset at what, something that's happening. And so this is what Esther finds out. She finds out that her, her cousin, Mordecai, is upset. And so she sends a messenger, one of her servants, to say, Mordecai, what's going on? Why are you so upset? Why are you doing this? We don't want you to get killed. And so this servant was communicating back and forth between Esther, the queen, and between Mordecai. And in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, it talks about this, this man. He gave a copy of the text of the edict or the annihilation. So he, he gave this, this decree that they were going to be annihilated. And this had been published throughout the whole area of Susa. And it was to sh- he did it to show Esther and explain to her how he told him uh, to instruct her to go into the king's presence and beg for mercy with the king for her people. So this servant, Havoc, went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. So Mordecai was saying, listen, we are in danger. On this day, in, in whenever the, the appointed day was, this decree is going to be in effect and people are going to be killed. 
And so Mordecai, this ordinary man, he was calling on this other ordinary person, but now she was the queen. He was calling on her to take a stand, on her to go to the king. The problem was this. Anyone who comes uninvited to see the king is pretty much automatically killed. Unless the king finds favor and holds out his golden scepter. Now, now Queen Esther, we're going to see in verse 9 here, So he went and went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. And then, verse 10, she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all of the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they would be put to death unless he extends his golden scepter to them and then spares them to live. But for 30 days have passed before I was called to go before the king. So she says, listen, remember, I I don't just have access to the king. I I can't just go interrupt the king. Even though he's my husband, I can't just go and say, hey, I have something to talk to you about. She can't just do that. And the last queen that did something that he didn't like was gone. And in this case, she could be killed. And she reminds Mordecai, I haven't even talked to the king in 30 days. I don't know when he's going to call me next. I don't know. It could be another 30 days or, or, or longer. The, the date of us getting killed could happen before I even get to talk to the king. And when, in verse 12 it says, When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do you not think that because you are the king in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape? So he's reminding her, you're still, your background is still a Jew. You are still under this decree that you could be killed. And he says, For you, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for all the Jews will arise from another place. But if you and your father's family, and you and your father's family will perish. So he's saying, I trust in an extraordinary God. I trust that God put you in this position for a reason. And if you don't do something about it, I still trust that God will do something about it. And he says, who knows? You have come into your royal position for such a time as this. Maybe God used your beauty so that you could save the people. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast with me. Do not eat or drink for three days, three nights. And I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away 
and carried out all of Esther's instructions. So Mordecai is telling her, go, you can save the people. Go. God is, God is going to use you in this time. He's giving her courage. In fact, our point for this is, like Mordecai, let's stand with others, with other believers in their faith with courage. So when there's other believers, it says in the Bible where two or three are gathered in His name, there I will be with them. When we are gathered, when we are encouraging others, when we are with others, pursuing them, or teaching them, showing them God's love, reminding people of courage, reminding people to do what's right, to trust in the Lord. Let's stand with others. Let's stand for their faith. Let's stand, give them, help them have conviction in the Lord. Let's stand so they can have courage. I mean, think about this. Mordecai, he was a man that went and adopted this woman, this young woman. He taught her from a young age. He instructed her. He showed her the different ways about the Lord. And so he was constantly having her understand what was right. He wanted her, he was teaching her. He was coaching her. He was parenting her. He was mentoring her. He was giving her advice that she needed to help her when someday when she was an adult, that she grew up really fast because she became the queen, when she needed to take a stand and know how to have courage. And, and Mordecai wasn't telling her to do something that he hadn't done before. Mordecai, he took a stand. Mordecai, he was the one that when things happened, when bad things happened, or hard things happened, he took courage and he did it. He trusted, like, like this whole mess started, because he, took, he didn't take a knee when he was supposed to. So he had courage, and he was now encouraging her to take courage. How do we encourage other believers in their faith, in the way that they have courage to walk? Maybe, maybe it's, it's hard in a public school to have courage to talk about Jesus. Maybe it's hard when you go off to, to college because the professors say you're, you're dumb if you believe in a, a creator. I mean, that's at secular colleges. But well, what about, how are we instilling wisdom? How are we encouraging courage and helping our young people especially grow up with a strong faith? Hopefully as parents, hopefully as grandparents, and aunts and uncles, we are doing that to our kids. That we're giving them courage. That we're giving them faith to not just know the Bible says so, so believe it, so don't ask questions. No, let's, let's talk about the Bible. Let's talk about our faith. Let's have them understand and have a strong faith so that when, when opportunities arise, they can have faith in, in, with conviction, but then they can have courage in their faith. It says in Hebrews 10, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who has promised is faithful. Let us, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 
Let's spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's be always encouraging and giving wisdom, giving advice, giving people faith, helping them in their faith, standing up and taking a stand. Are we doing that? Are we teaching that? Are we doing that not just for our young people, but as we meet in our our Sunday school classes or Bible studies or wherever we're meeting? Are we doing that? I hope so. So like Mordecai, let's stand up for, for others. Let's stand up on our faith and let's stand up for other believers in their faith with courage. And in this story, we probably many of us know it, but Esther goes. And she goes to the king. And she is not killed. Because it's not just because we have an extraordinary God that she's not killed, but we do have an extraordinary God, and this was his plan to save the people. And we also find out about Mordecai. And Mordecai, one night, the king is reading and he's reading, and he can't sleep, so he's reading just old things that have happened in his reign. And he's reading about how there was one man that, that saved, that stopped the plot of his assassination. And he's like, wait, what happened? It doesn't say the rest of the story. How did we honor this man? And they said, uh, we never did. And so because of that, then, then the king goes to Haman, his most trusted Official, and he says, "Hey, I have this. If, if this, if I want to honor someone, how do I do that?" And so, of course, Haman is like, "Oh, he's talking about me. How should how should he honor me? How? Okay, well, what would I like?" And so he tells him this whole plot of how he can honor how he can honor this person. And what's humorous in this story is it was then the king says. And I don't think that he maybe even knew what was going on between him and, and Mordecai, but he says, okay, that sounds great. Go do that for Mordecai. And I, you, you can, you can like see, probably, or imagine, I know in the cartoons, the, the jaw drops to the floor. That, that, that was Haman. He was like, what? How in the world am I supposed to go honor this man? And then we find out at the end of this, the end of this book that... Esther has the courage to, to tell the king. And she has the courage to confront Haman. And the people, are, the people not just are saved because the king couldn't just undo his order, kind of like Daniel in the lion's den. He, he, the king can't just be like, oh, the decree is not, any, it's not good anymore. He has to say, yes, the decree is still going to happen, but we're going to add to it. We're going to add that the, the Jews can defend themselves. And, and that was their way that God, the extraordinary God, saved the people. The people were about to be wiped out, and then they weren't. Because ordinary people like Mordecai trust in an extraordinary God. Do we trust in an extraordinary God? Do we only trust in an extraordinary God when He does what we want Him to? Do we take a stand where we need to? Our main idea is to take a stand, we need to be confident in where we stand. If we're going to stand, if we're going to take a stand, 
Let's be confident to know where we stand and on whom we stand. So, so we stand on Jesus. We stand on the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Natalie, can you go to the next one, please? So to take a stand, you need to be confident. If we're going to stand up, if we're going to do something that's courageous, something that's hard, we need to know where we're standing. We need to have conviction. We need to have courage. We need to have radical love, but we need to know we're standing on Jesus. We're standing on the firm foundation. So in this story, there's, this story is about a king. And this king, Xerxes, he's the king of Persia, but he ordered the execution of all the people. But we know that we have another king. And thankfully this king, the king of Persia, Xerxes, he's not our king. But we have a king of kings and a lord of lords. That this king, Jesus Christ, he came to save the people. He came so that people would not be annihilated and killed. But not just for now, for all time. He came to give salvation. You know, in this story, there was this ordinary man, Mordecai, and this ordinary man took a stand. And it sure looked like evil was about to win. To everyone else, it looked like the Jews were about to be annihilated. It looked like the bad guys were going to win. But no. God extraordinarily used the circumstances he planned what was going to happen, and he saved the people. When Jesus died on the cross, it sure looked like to all the people around that evil had won. That Jesus, the good man, the good teacher, the one that we trusted, the one that we even thought was the Messiah, was dead. Where's our hope now? And I can't imagine if you were a disciple of Jesus or a follower of Jesus or just someone that trusted Jesus from the time that He was arrested and beaten. He was carried His cross and then finally hung on the cross and died. I can't imagine what it was like on that Friday night and on that Saturday. I can't imagine because it would look like evil won. That it was over. But we know on the third day, on early that Sunday morning, Jesus rose back to life. And He won. He, he, he gives victory for all who put their trust in Him. And so even when it seemed like in this story of Esther and now the story of Jesus, when, when evil was going to win, our extraordinary God, He wins. He's in charge. He gives victory. He gives life. He doesn't kill, but He gives life. And this is the God that we worship. This is the God that why we're here on a Sunday morning, but why we're here throughout the week, not, not in this building, but where we trust Jesus. We go into our workplaces. We go to wherever we are and we proclaim the name of Jesus. We stand upon Him. And in this song that we sang 
right before the sermon, and we're actually going to sing it here in a few minutes, but this time in English. What can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, O oh God, completely to You. There's nothing we can say or do, but just offer our hearts to the Lord. And so, the chorus says, and I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the One, Jesus Christ, who gave His all. And that's who we worship. And that's who I hope that we trust with our lives. And if you don't trust Jesus, and you're not in awe of the One who gave it all, don't wait. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus today. I want to just leave you with this question. Simply this, where do I need to stand? The Lord, as we're asking this question, where do we need to stand? Lord, I pray that you would be revealing where that is. Squarely on you firmly on your foundation that you give us. God, help us to trust you and help us to know how to stand stand with conviction what you want us to stand for. And God, I pray that we would, as a, as a church, we would be known for standing up for you, for worshiping you alone. God, I pray that we would be people that would stand to help others with radical love and to stand to help people in their faith. So Jesus, we trust you. We worship you today. And God, we ask as we stand that we would have our hearts abandoned to you, the only one that we can trust and give our lives to. In Jesus' name, amen.